So I'm going to start like I normally start by asking you a really easy question to answer. Or, yeah, to answer. What are the major influences in your life? We all have values, don't we, that we hold on to that have a massive impact on the way we live. We all have people that we listen to uh, that shape us. We have things that we spend time doing that create desires or shape those values further. And depending on who or what we listen to, it has the power to build us up and make us better people or actually to tear us down and make us less of what we should be and maybe even destroy those around us. When I started writing uh, this sermon, it was on Tuesday morning with uh, Uh, the news still coming out about all of what had happened in Manchester the night before. And, you know, we still don't know now what made uh, the bomber uh, do what he did, that awful act. But just what happened, it makes it really clear uh, that in this world there are dangerous influences that people can listen to and allow to shape their lives and create values in them that are evil, that are wrong and destructive. If we listen to those wrong values, you can see the extreme of what can happen in events like that. And the impact that has not only on those that lost their lives, but on the lives of those that were, uh, the friends and family of those that were left behind We need to be really clear as Christians, we live in a world where there are good influences and there are bad, there are evil influences. And the bomber was that extreme example of what happens or what can happen when we listen to the wrong influences in our lives. And this morning as we look at this passage from from 1 John, one of the things I hope we'll all do as we uh, unpack it is to be encouraged and refreshed with new energy to listen to the right influences in our lives. Because this is one of the things that actually uh, God's providence has put this passage in front of us tonight. It's a challenge from John to his readers to hold on to and listen to what is everlasting, what is true, what is right, and not to spend uh, time or be distracted looking at things in the world that are going to draw us away from that. Things that will ultimately end in destruction or will fail us. So I'm going to look at three things uh, in this passage. Look, well, six things, actually. We're going to look at three things that will fail us, three influences that we can listen to that will fail us. But also we're going to look at, at three things that have eternal value to us you have a sermon handout that you may find helpful in your uh, newsletter as well. But please also do keep your uh, Bibles open. It's on page 1,226, I, I believe. But uh, let's start, shall we? The, the, the passage that we looked at starts with this rather grand statement, doesn't it? Do not love the world. Does John really mean that Christians aren't supposed to uh, love anything in the world at all? 
know, this same author uh, wrote one of the most famous verses in his gospel, John's gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for it. What does John mean here when he's saying, do not love the world? Well, I think John simply means here is that we shouldn't love things in the world that place themselves over and above God. So, for example, football. I used this analogy last time I spoke as well. Uh, Does that mean we are not allowed to love football, which is clearly something of this world? Well, you're relieved to hear, you might not be actually, but I hope most of you will be relieved to hear. That's not what I think John means here. Uh, But he could mean I need to reevaluate my love and my passion for it. Is there anything in football and its values that are at odds with God and places itself against God? Or perhaps a less obvious one. Is football taking a place in my life or in your life? A place that God should have. Is it more important than God in your life? If your football team was playing, would you prefer to go and watch them watch than spend time with God? If that is the case, John is speaking to you, do not love the world. We need to make sure that the things in this world we see through correct eyes, things that will pass away, things that do not place themselves above God or against God or have the place that God should have in our lives. That's what I think John is getting at when he says, do not love the world. No the things, the place of the things in this world. And then in the following verse, he gives us three examples or three things uh, that happen in which we can, stop, we can do that. That desire to love the world uh, comes from. And they're quite wide, uh, wide, ra- wide ranging. And the first thing about this, about the world, the things that will fail, is uh, feeding selfish desires, the desire of the flesh as it's uh, uh, written in many of translations, we feed selfish desire. It seems a strange thing to say, doesn't it, that one of the things that can draw us away from God is the desires of the flesh. After all, God did design us, I believe. He, He made us humans. And we have desires that are helpful as well, don't we? need to unpack a bit what John means by this, because hunger, for example food is a good desire. If we didn't have hunger or thirst as a desire, it would be very difficult for us to live healthy lives, wouldn't it? Because we could just forget to eat or or drink. And that is not going to be good for us, particularly when it's hot weather like this. So what does John mean? Unpacking that do not love the world understanding a bit more. He means satisfying the desires of our body in a selfish way, giving in to desires with with little or no regard for God or for others around us. And that can happen in two ways. We can can misuse a healthy desire or perhaps we can give in to an unhealthy desire. So, for example, a healthy desire, let's go back to eating. It is a good desire, isn't it, to, to eat and to keep our body healthy, to keep it nourished. Enjoy the food that God has given us. But perhaps we could continually overindulge in our hunger, 
stuff our faces with anything that we see before us without ever thinking or even uh, looking for ways to help those in the world that are without food. We satisfy our desires by just misusing what God has given us selfishly for ourselves without any thought or care for those around us. Hunger is one of the many different desires that can be healthy, but that we can easily misuse if we are not careful. But what about an unhealthy desire? What, what are they? Perhaps the desire to put down or destroy somebody else, somebody else's reputation by telling a lie just to make yourself feel or look better. John is saying if we feed those unhealthy desires in us, it draws us away from God. So that's the first thing. A second thing John is saying in this world that, that, that can draw us away from God is uh, the desire of the eyes, or as it uh, is translated here, the lust of our eyes. So the first one that draws us away is desires that come from within us. And the second one is desires that we look at and we can see in the world around us. And John is warning the early church that this is another way that can draw us from God when we look at the world as something to own or desire for ourselves. We see people or objects as things to conquer and use for ourselves. We think, what can I get out of this? I want that for myself. And we can do this with both objects, and we can also do it with people, or we can turn people into objects. There's a great difference in looking at the world around us and enjoying this world that God has given us. It's beauty and it's goodness, and using it in a way that is honoring to God who made it, than seeing this world as something for us to consume and use for ourselves and just for ourselves. Something that I think is really prevalent or a great example of, uh, of you having this, uh, this desire at the moment, I'm just PG warning, Porn. It's something that is just so accessible and is used by so many people at the moment in the world around us. And what is that about? That is simply about people's desire to look at what they want, to feed a desire within them in a way that is not healthy and not helpful to those involved in it. I used to work as a youth worker and um, used to have this discussion. One of the, 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 the things that young people used to come back and say, but what's wrong with it? I'm not harming anybody uh, by looking at it. I'm just appreciating God's beauty in creation. <laughs> well, there are lots of things that could be said to that, but the thing I do want to say this morning about it is the way God made us as human beings was for relationship and for relationships that should last and should not be broken, for a relationship that wants the best for the other. That's the way God modeled relationship with us. And what he did is sending Christ for us. Looking at somebody on a computer screen <laughs> is not doing that. It's seeing someone not really as a person, 
but as an object to use for yourself. That is never how God intended human relationships to be. If you wouldn't want somebody that you know, that you love and care about, to be involved in that, you shouldn't want it for anyone else either. And you certainly shouldn't think it's okay. And one more thing quickly about that. There is actually research that shows a direct link between people uh, who regularly look at things like that and the way they treat people of the opposite sex, particularly men. If, if you do that, it, uh, research has shown that you are less likely, as a man in particular, to listen, value, and respect people of the opposite sex in everyday life. You begin to see people more as objects rather than people to be loved and valued, which is what God showed us that we are. So that's two things here. But it can be, uh, porn's just one example, but I thought it was a great example to use. Um, we can do it with other things as well. And John is saying these two things are, are things that we should shun as Christians, that we should not uh, live for. Feeding our selfish desires, either from within us or by things that we look from without us. And the third thing John uh, says that can draw us away from God is pride pride in our possessions or ourselves. This is about placing confidence in what we already own and possess, rather than desiring and owning and possessing the wrong things. It's about saying, so we can do that, but also what about the things you already have? Saying, don't have pride in those things. We shouldn't find our self-worth in the abundance of our possessions, the size of our house or the car that we own. Because these things fail us. We can't take them with us uh, when we leave this earth. And I wondered as I was uh, reflecting on this whether John had in mind a parable that Jesus told as he was, he was writing this. Uh, the parable of the, of the, rich, of the rich fool. Um, and the, the, the parable is uh, this, of, of this person that had an abundance of possessions and simply built bigger and bigger barns for himself to store more and more stuff in so he could sit back and relax and live his selfish life. But the parable ends like, like this. But God said to the rich man, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores things up for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now let me be clear, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong or it's sinful to be rich or to own things. But what the Bible is clear about and what John is saying here is we must never let those things and those possessions become more important than God. They must never tear us away and we must use them and use what God has given us in a way that is honoring to him, recognizing that all we have comes from him. Being rich towards God should be our greatest desire because that doesn't fail us like anything else in this world does. So all these three things uh, fail us. Look at what it says in verse 17. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what is the antidote? What is the will of God? 
I just want to remind people we've been looking at this, if you're new or visiting, we've been looking at a letter of 1 John for a few weeks now. And John is not saying we're saved by what we do. But what John is clear about is that actually as we come to Christ, as we have a relationship with him, that transforms and changes us. And our faith is lived out. Or we can see uh, the fruits of our belief in the way we live. Our lives are transformed, even if it's only in a small way to start off with. As we remain in Christ, we are transformed. So that's what he means here by whoever does the will of God lives forever. He's talking about lives transformed. So let me uh, go through three things that have eternal value in sort of the remaining verses from verse 18 onwards. I want to say at this point, a disclaimer, I'm not going to cover absolutely everything in these verses. I could probably do three or four sermons on this passage in particular, uh, but you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to do three or four sermons worth of talking uh, now. I just want to draw out three things. Uh, that have eternal value. And the first is this, that might be surprising to some of you. The three things that, uh, that have eternal value is being committed to community, in particular uh, the Christian community. Look at what John says in verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going, at, going showed that none of them belonged to us. Let me remind you of the context of this letter uh, as well for those who have forgotten or if you're just visiting. John is writing this letter, we think, to a group of churches uh, where a number of people have uh, stopped meeting together and have given up being part of the Christian community uh, because they have been influenced and persuaded uh, by uh, the Gnostic influence which uh, claimed that Jesus was not the Son of God, was not the truly... truly divine and was not the son of God and they've been influenced by it and there were uh, there were people actively amongst the community saying you shouldn't meet together because this what you do now doesn't matter you can go and live lives however you want to live them and what John is is saying here is that actually when we believe in Christ you will know the importance of community and of relationships that being committed and meeting together with one another is one of those transforming uh, markers that we have when we come to Christ, is wanting to meet together and stay together, united as one. I'm just going to remind you of the opening uh, verses of 1 John. What was the reason for John's writing? Verses 3 and 4. We proclaim what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. The opening verses of 1 John. Relationship, fellowship with God and with one another brings great joy to us when uh, we're in Christ or it should do anyway. Meeting together is an important marker, an important way in which we can stay connected with God. Because being connected with God is about uh, relationship. 
And to emphasize this point further, John labels those who, who are doing this, who are actively uh, drawing away those people from the Christian community as antichrists. Antichrist simply means people who are against Christ. As a, uh, there were people amongst them saying, don't bother, don't, don't go to church. Jesus isn't there. He, he's, he's pulling, or Jesus isn't, isn't somebody to, to be valued. He's saying, don't listen to them because they are against God. If they're against you meeting together, they are against God. Don't listen to them. Don't give up meeting together. I hope uh, uh, lots of you know that our focus this year as a church is on being a loving community. And here John is emphasizing how important it is if you follow Christ to be part of a loving community. We should commit to coming to church regularly or being part of a small group. Putting that as a top, a high priority because it is something that won't fail us, that does have eternal values, unlike the other things that there are in this life that can often pull us away. We should value community really highly. We were made for community. That's what Jesus came to do, to restore a relationship, a perfect relationship that we can have with God with nothing in the way. And as we do that and realize that, we can actually have better relationships with one another. Community is a vital aspect of the Christian faith. Support and encouragement is available in the community that we just can't get on our own. And if we're serious about following God, we need the help of others. Our faith is not a personal thing. It's not something just for us to keep to ourselves. But it's something that should be shared and enjoyed with others as well. In worship, in prayer. And hopefully in listening to sermons too. So be committed to community has, it, has eternal value. Uh, the third thing, the second thing, sorry is listening to the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 20 together. But you have the anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. When we come to Christ, we, we receive an anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, uh, we're told. Uh, next week, we're, we're celebrating Pentecost, that day when we remember the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came and lived in the, the disciples and those who, who believed in Jesus in a new way, in a way that Jesus promised. And it's a gift that helped lead and guide the early church to know Jesus and his truth properly. It opened their mind <laughs> to understand their faith more deeply, to really understand and impact uh, have deeper impact with those words and with that time and all the actions that they saw Jesus doing when they were with them. It equipped them with words and with power to live it out and to know how to live it out. And John is saying here that we have this anointing as well when we believe. Look at the start of verse 27 as well. says a similar thing. As for you, the anointing you received remains in you. The anointing remains. It is a gift that we're still with them. And it's also in us when we believe. It's a gift that we receive. The Holy Spirit can help us at all times and in all places. 
the Holy Spirit can and will guide, equip, and empower us to know the right thing to do when we listen to him. And when we listen to the Holy Spirit, it helps draw and guide us into knowing and being able to do the will of God, which means our words and our labors will not pass away, but will have eternal and everlasting significance. I think it's incredible that God doesn't just leave us on our own, but he's given us this great gift that is always there with us, empowering, equipping, and enabling us to live right lives in every and each moment. I can't remember if I've used this analogy uh, since I've been here, so forgive me if I have, but I'm going to use it again. As as a parent, uh, what I want for my children as they grow up is the ability to make uh, wise and good decisions on their own most of the time. I don't want to have to constantly tell them what the right or the wrong thing to do is. Like, uh, for example, I don't want to have to constantly tell one of my daughters to, after she's got out of the bath and dried herself, not to just drop the towel on the floor and leave it in the middle of the bathroom, but to pick it up and put it back on the towel rail. I want her to make that wise choice on her own. That's just a silly example. Um, But we want to impart that good value of doing that. This is a really silly example. That good value of doing that on her own. I want her to do it on on, on her own. And I hope my instruction will one day will lead to that that fruit that she will be able to do it. And she is starting to do it from time to time. But as she grows, that actually that will just become something that is natural for her to do. That's a silly example, but it's with more serious things as well, isn't it? I want her not to grow up thinking stealing's okay or lying. Obvious things. And, and I think this is uh, sort of a little bit of a, uh, an analogy with, with, uh, with, the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. God gives us this Holy Spirit to help us know what the right values are in us, to remind us of them so that we can live and walk by them uh, day by day. But also, like with my, uh, with my children, if there are more complicated situations that are going to come, I want them to know that they can always turn and ask if they are stuck or if they need help in a more serious situation. I want them to know that they can uh, talk to me and give them good advice. So that's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. It's, it's something that gives us good value so we can know uh, where we should live generally, but it's also something that can guide us when we don't know what to do, if we take the time to listen to him. It's a great gift for us who are children of God, and we'll look at what that means uh, more next week. It's a gift that helps us and empowers us to live our lives out in the right way, to know the right thing to do in, in each situation guide us and give us wisdom as well in the trickier times. So three things that have eternal value being, so uh, is being committed to community, listening to the Holy Spirit and the third thing, remaining in Christ. And this is another thing actually that the Holy Spirit does. The last two points are really closely linked. Remaining, uh, listening to the Holy Spirit and remaining in Christ. A sort of a circular thing. 
The Holy Spirit, John is saying here, uh, points us to the truth about Christ, helps us keep him at the center. Let's just go back to uh, the context and the background to what John is writing. And remember, one of the issues was that uh, a number of Christians had left them because of, of uh, the influence of the, of the Gnostics, this new religious movement, and people rejecting who Jesus was, trying to convince them to, to, to stop believing in Christ as the Son of God, and it didn't matter how they behaved. And what's the antidote to this? According to John, John is saying when you believed in Jesus, you received the anointing, the Holy Spirit. When you believed in the Son of God, not only did you receive this Holy Spirit, also, that Holy Spirit helps you know the truth. And what is the truth? <laughs> that you should remain in Christ. Let me uh, uh, read to you how the message translation of the Bible uh, does the final two verses, verses 26 and 27. I've written to warn you about those who are trying to deceive you, but they're no match for what is embedded deeply within you, Christ's anointing no less. You don't need any of their so-called teaching. Christ's anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself and him, uncontaminated by a single lie. Live deeply in what you were taught. Live deeply in what you were taught. The truth about who Jesus is, the Son of God. Live deeply in that truth about what he came to do to save us from our sins and to give us a true and close relationship with him and also fellowship with one another to equip us to live lives in community with one another and with him in the right way. I'll just finish by um, going back a bit to where I started. We all know from this week how fragile life can be at times and we are left with a choice a choice similar perhaps a bit more stark to us at the moment the same one that the early Christians were were faced are we going to continue to hold on to Christ and his truth and listen to him and his eternal truths or are we going to allow ourselves to be influenced by the destructive things in this world that can destroy us? Temptations that can look really attractive at the time. Because the Gnostic um, influence was quite an attractive thing because it was basically saying you can live life as you want for yourself. But John is saying you know that's not true. If you believe in Christ you know that's not truth. And if you, believe, if you believe in Christ, you have eternal value in your life here, in what you do. What you do matters. The Gnostic influence uh, died out. There is still some kind of like Gnostic things going around in the world now, but it just changes from generation to generation because it has no real substance and no real value to it. It's just sort of died out, really. But the gospel that John's wrote and the churches to which John wrote continued because they remained in him. And the church is going strong, getting stronger and stronger these 2,000 years later after what Christ has done. Because actually putting our trust in that 
is something that will last and that does and will have eternal significance, unlike the things of this world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's give ourselves those promises that do last forever. Amen.